What's up, everyone? You're listening to the Sun Devil Source Report podcast. I'm your host, Mason Kern, joined as always by publisher Chris Cartman. Chris, what's new? What's going on? How you doing? I'm doing well, man. You know, it's uh, that that time of year where I think people are t- catching their breath a little bit, but there's still so much going on, especially how active the last month has been with the basketball roster and uh, you got a lot of recruiting stuff that's on deck here coming up in the next few weeks in June. So there's still plenty to talk about. Right. The offseason for ASU sports is never really an offseason, at least from our perspective. The only relief is obviously the game coverage. But we're as we're recording this on May 6th, we were just past the NFL draft and ASU had another player drafted in this year's class. Obviously, former wide receiver Frank Darby getting taken in the sixth round by the Atlanta Falcons. Was that, Chris, kind of where you expected him to potentially fall? Yeah, uh, we had – there was a thread on the on the, the board in the, the sanctuary on people sort of guessing where Darby would be drafted. I'm pretty sure I said the sixth round was my guess. But I also said that, um, you know, once you get into the third day, uh, there's a lot more sort of randomness because it only takes one team to like a guy more than the rest of the league does for him to go higher than what you would expect. Uh, I thought he was, uh, you know, maybe a fifth round guy, but probably more like a sixth round to seventh round guy. And he was taken with the first three picks in the sixth round. So still pretty early on in that round. Right, right, right. So yeah, he he fell right into the range of what I kind of expected. You know, people I think realize that uh, Frank Darby is, uh, you know, he's got some you know intrigue as a deep ball threat, and that matters at the NFL level. It's a little bit harder there because um, you know the, the 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 players are smarter, the schemes are are very uh, advanced, and. Uh, you know, they are really trying to not give up the deep ball. I think it's a little bit easier in college football, but, uh, but he has that, that skill set and, and instinctual feel and, and ability to, to stack a cornerback and gets off the line of scrimmage really effectively. And so that's going to be there now. So of course has to work on rounding out his, his game from a uh, route tree uh, skill standpoint, being able to kind of run, the, the things that are super common in the NFL, the, the comeback routes, you know, the outs and ins. Uh, and, um, you know, we'll see. I, I think he's, he's still got a fair amount of work to do with that. And, and, uh, but a guy like Darby has infectious personality and great energy and all these sort of attributes that people are going to like. And then you, you put somebody who can get sneak behind the defense on top of that. And, and, um, and you have somebody who might be able to make a roster. I, I think that he's, you know, there's a, a ways to go before he's someone who's in a rotation regularly. Um, but uh, that there's that potential is there. We've seen other ASU receivers over the years who have continued to develop and stick around in the league for a while. Um, Rashad Ross was one um, who, you know, kind of surprised me with how much, you know, he developed uh, um, and uh, so, you know, we'll see what happens. I, I, I'm confident that Frank Darby's going to give it his best effort. 
Right, and ASU had one player drafted in this year's class, obviously Darby, former ASU safety Ashari Crosswell, not drafted, and I don't believe I've seen if he's signed anywhere yet as an undrafted free agent. But as we look ahead to the 2022 class, we have a story out on the site at SunDevilSource.com right now about all the guys on this year's ASU team who could either declare early or potentially just run out of their eligibility, go for the NFL draft. And Chris, it has a chance to challenge some historical benchmarks, wouldn't you say definitely um you know we we wrote about 13 players um most of them are seniors and juniors and a lot of them are because of the eligibility you know freeze last year they they would have been seniors this year uh, but and then you have a few sophomores like Jane daniels and donovan west who are they'll be third year players and so they'll be eligible for the draft if they decide to pursue that after this year no no idea whether you know how possible or likely that that is at this point for those guys but uh, a lot of these older players who have been um, you know at ASU or in college for a long time uh, Chase Lucas Jack Jones Evan Fields uh, Kellen Deesh the transfer from Texas A&M um, you know even some guys that people might not be thinking about as much like uh, DJ Davidson or um, you know maybe like uh, like uh, trying to think uh, Tamarcus Davis maybe is another guy who you know if he plays a lot this year as a as a nickel corner I think he's a freak athlete you know that some of these guys uh, that you might not be expecting to if ASU has a really great season. Uh, could really elevate themselves quite a bit. And everybody knows about like Merlin Robertson as another candidate. Michael Turk had declared and then uh, backed off of that. Tyler Johnson, we've long said that he has the potential to play at the next level. Not a lot of guys are 270 pounds and that caliber of an athlete. So, um, you know, it, it's uh, ASU's had uh, no more than five players drafted. Uh, um, in any year since 2000 the only time that that happened they had five drafted was 2008 and in 2000 they had six drafted and you got to go back to the right after the rose bowl season in 1997 when they had uh more than that more than six they had eight i think drafted in 1997 so my sort of sense right now is that if ASU has a, a really impressive season, which is possible this year, and that always sort of puts your, your players more into the consciousness of uh, NFL scouts and, and GMs, that um, we could see that, you know, that uh, more than any um, uh, single NFL draft this century for ASU be challenged, at least. I, I think the over-under might be like five or so, maybe six at the most right now. So if, uh, you know, I would expect at least three or four players to get drafted. So this will be a better year, not surprisingly, because you had a bunch of these super senior guys come back that maybe otherwise wouldn't have, like Chase Lucas or uh, Jack Jones. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it just sort of falls in line with everything else that we know about this team being one of the most talented that we've seen in ASU in recent history. Right. You mentioned it with more draft capable players on the roster that leads to more heightened expectations with this year's ASU team and odds makers at least consider ASU to be very talented 
entering this season only below or equal to USC and Oregon in terms of odds to win the Pac-12. We have another story out on the site right now about kind of where ASU falls in odds makers' eyes. Chris, can you kind of walk us through how ASU is perceived nationally? Yeah, um, and this again is 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 not really surprising. You're you're entering the the fourth year of the Herm Edwards era, and typically, what we've seen is um, somewhere in that years three three to five is is when a uh, a new a coach has basically built up the roster to a point where they're uh, uh, able to kind of be more competitive with their own players. Um, and so it's falling in line in that respect. And we think ASU is probably going to end up being a preseason top 25 team. So you would think that their odds would be reflective of that. And right now they are, uh, tied for 19th best odds to win the college football playoff at a, uh, plus 10,000. So that means that if you bet a hundred dollars, uh, you would win uh, 10,000 if ASU won a national championship. I'm not advocating anybody doing that. I, I think that that's, uh, you know, everything would have to be the perfect magical type of a season for that to happen. It's very unlikely, but uh, you can't entirely rule it out. And um, those odds are third best among Pac-12 teams behind Oregon, which is plus 4,000, uh, you know, 100 bucks wins 4,000. And USC plus thirty three hundred, uh, hundred bucks wins three thousand three hundred dollars. Um, and um, last year ASU was 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 not remotely close to that at uh, plus fifty thousand, uh, which was I think tied for for sixty third uh, in the country and ninth best in the Pac twelve. So they were kind of kind of at the bottom uh, third of the Pac twelve in how they were perceived by odds makers last year. So, you know, much better. And then, um, you know, there's some other you know, odds out there. So like William Hill gives ASU sort of the same odds. And then they have some PAC 12 related specific odds, which um, by DraftKings, which ASU is plus 175 to win the South. So a hundred bucks wins 175 bucks. Only USC is better than that at plus 125. So USC is considered the, the, uh, a little bit more of a favorite than ASU in the South. Oregon is the favorite in the North. Um, uh, ASU is perceived sort of similarly to Washington in terms of the national CFP odds and some of the, the Pac-12 odds. So those are like the third and fourth most likely teams as viewed by um, you know, Vegas in this way and, and some of these online bookies. And, um, so yeah, um, you know, I think this is not all that surprising again. Uh, you know, Bill Conley does a really good job with ESPN's S and P rankings, um, is he's put together a thing of who has the most super seniors, which is guys who are back for another year who wouldn't otherwise have been, if not for the eligibility freeze, uh, extending their eligibility, and ASU is second most nationally among, I think, Power Five schools at, at, in that in that regard. So, um, you know, this is why I think Sun Devil fans are are so excited about the potential for this year's team. You have, uh, as we've talked about previously, uh, eleven all eleven starters coming back on defense. That almost never happens, and they have nine starters back on offense. Um, and Frank Darby, who was one of the two who's not back, he. You know, he went out really early against USC and didn't play at all in ASU's last game 
uh, of the year against Oregon State. So, you know, the, really they effectively uh, are in, in way of looking at it, only replacing K. Cody, who was a center, but they're sliding Donovan Westover from guard to center and moving Ladarius Henderson probably into the starting lineup, who has starting experience, was a regular starter two seasons ago. So that tells you pretty clearly, if you want to look at it this way, that maybe it's almost like they have like all their starters back in, in a manner of speaking. So, um, you know, the, the coaches are, and the players are not uh, shying away whatsoever from the, the really high expectations. They, Jane Daniels and other players have said, look, the Rose bowl is our, our goal, our expectation. That's what we want to deliver to the fans. And, uh, you know, uh, Antonio Pierce and Herm Edwards have been pretty candid and said, this is our, you know, the team that we have the best chance of, of doing some damage with. And that's basically what they are going to be held, uh, to the standard of like, they are going to, I personally, I've said this before, they, if they don't win at least nine games, that will be a disappointment, uh, this year, I think. And it's very, uh, conceivable that they could win 10 or more games. And a lot of that is predicated obviously on the health of Jaden Daniels because the backup quarterback situation isn't as let's just say, you know, set in stone and or nearly as talented. Sure. That's uh, as normal. What, as, as what Dan, as what Daniels provides and entering the 2021 season, he's also getting some national love. Chris, we have another story on the site right now about how he's among the top 10 players in college football for Heisman betting odds. Uh, where, where do you, what was your take on where he falls? Yeah. Um, you know, when I looked at it, I thought at first, I'm, uh, maybe that's a little bit high, but then, I saw the some of the other competition and where other guys were at, and it, it sort of started to make a little bit more sense. Um, Spencer Rattler, the the uh, former Pinnacle High School player from Phoenix at Oklahoma, is the favorite. He's at plus five fifty, uh, and that makes sense. He, you know, he's we you know, I, he was the best quarterback that I've personally scouted ever in Arizona, and I thought he would you know, have a chance to be a first round draft pick and Heisman you know, contender. So, uh, the guy who's sort of, you know, interesting, uh, from the PAC 12 is Keenan Slovis at plus 2000, which is better than Daniels. Who's at plus 3000 and, you know, USC runs the air raid offense and, and Slovis is already, you know, they've shown that he's going to throw the ball a lot, like 50 times a game, a lot, um, sometimes. And, uh, so he's going to put up really big numbers. They, they've lost some of their wide receiver talent. So I'm interested to see kind of how that unfolds. They still have Drake London and other guys who are really good. So I, I don't think they're going to take too much of a backslide. Um, you know, it, it, of course, when um, you know, quarterbacks are the most likely to win the Heisman and the winner is almost always a, uh, from a team who is a college football playoff contender or you know, one of the best teams in the country. And so, um, you, know, you know, people think that, that ASU is going to have a really good season. Daniels is a high pro- profile quarterback who's going into his third year as a starter. And you kind of put all that stuff together and um, it, it makes sense. Now uh, I still think that the wide receiver position is um, one of the, probably the most sort of questionable spot on their roster right now in terms of what could potentially hold them back from, 
you know, winning the Pac-12. Uh, they, they, you know, they're pretty young. They're still developing. They're still sort of, you know, this is going into their second year of a newer and more complex offense and adjusting to play at this level. They only got four games in last year. So that, you know, how good they are affects Daniels and vice versa, right? So I, I think we still need to see a lot more evidence to demonstrate um, that they were going to be that prolific from a passing standpoint to be able to put him into that Heisman consideration and ASU into that, uh, that among the teams that has a player who really has a chance to win the Heisman. And also keep in mind, as you know, and our audience knows, the, the run game for ASU was so successful last year. And uh, uh, Edwards is extremely comfortable relying heavily on his run game when that's the case. Uh, especially when you have a very good defense, you know, he's like the quote unquote run game and defense travel, you know, thing that he says. So that also could mean that maybe ASU and, and Daniels don't throw the ball nearly as much as Rattler or Slovis, or maybe some of these other uh, types of candidates. Right. And I think it's important to mention, too, at least in consideration for Jaden Daniels' potential NFL draft departure, this year's quarterback class is significantly weaker uh, among quarterbacks than 2021. Uh, so obviously, if Daniels puts together, you know, the year that uh, many expect, uh, that could conceivably play into his decision to leave or stay at ASU as well. Now, as I mentioned, Chris, obviously, and as our audience knows, it's a down period in terms of in-game season coverage, it's the off-season, but recruiting's really going to pick up here into June because the dead period that's been around since March of 2020 because of COVID-19 uh, is officially ending at the end of May. June 1st is the first day that prospects can begin taking official visits. We've seen some announcements on Twitter. We've seen ASU coaches, uh, specifically Adam Brenneman, among others, uh, really gearing up for a, a pretty big June. Can you kind of give us a, a sneak peek into the run down of, of the plans at least toward the beginning right so as you said there their official visits are all expenses paid for the player and uh and uh, parents are able to also come so um you know a lot of kids from other parts of the country who were driving is not that feasible they're not going to be able to uh, spend their own money unofficially to come visit your campus. And then on top of that, the last year has been unlike any previous year because it's been a dead period, which is defined as no on or off campus interactions that are, you know, uh, you know, considered recruiting trips um, with coaches. So since mid-March of last year till now, ASU has not hosted any recruits. There have been there were some recruits that were on campus at ASU uh, on their own at self-guided visits, which are allowed. And then there were some that were on campus for ASU's final spring practice in the stadium, which is also allowed if they come on their own. Um, so, you know, there have been some kids that have seen the campus or, or, uh, or maybe even watched ASU practice, but um, not anywhere remotely close to what has typically been the case. Uh, and, um, overall it is the fewest number of kids who have ever visited or been on ASU's campus and recruiting from, uh, over the last 14 months. Um, and for official visits, you got to go back even longer because there weren't any official visits that ASU had 
uh, going back until like January or maybe or maybe February of of last year also, and most of their uh, class was locked in even prior to that. So you got to go back all the way to December of 2019 when they had like a bunch of kids on campus. So that at this point seems like forever ago. And what what's happened now is a lot of kids who are um, just finishing their junior year of high school, they're going to be seniors. They have not been able to have the normal experience and they're just itching to go. And so June is when uh, they're going to be able to take these official visits for the first time. And by the way, June uh, official visits, they only started a few years ago, just for a little additional background information there. And ASU is going to have, I would say, at least probably 10 to 12 official visitors. And then they're going to have several other sort of high profile unofficial visitors including ones from out of state who are coming in. The, the biggest name official visitor, I, I think, is probably Tevin White, who is a running back from uh, Virginia. I actually just spoke with him yesterday, um, and we're going to have a story up on him on the site uh, probably you know, the, you know, today as we're recording this podcast on Thursday. Um, you know, he's he's going to be – uh, you know, coming to see ASU and I think ASU, I put in, I, I, I you know, usually wouldn't say this on a premium pod, uh, on a free podcast and say this for the premium, but I actually put in a crystal ball for Tevin White to ASU. And, and you know uh, what that means, folks. Yeah, that, that, well, they free, you know, our audience knows, I don't know if all the, the free people know, but well, they I'm need about, to get in there, Chris. I'm about, they, they do. I'm about a 96% uh, historical success rate on okay, that should ball. be higher though. We, there's been some extenuating circumstances. Yeah. 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 So I, I really have probably only missed on a couple, but the system, if a kid commits to ASU and then he gets dropped or he changes later, uh, uh, it, it, it keeps the pick and then you have to get the pick right still. So yeah, pro you know, whatever it's somewhere between 95 and 99% Mason. It, it seems pretty good. Right. So, I put in one for Tevin White. Um, he's um, he said on Twitter he's going to announce on June 24th, which is his mom's birthday. The only official visit that he has scheduled currently is ASU. He's looking to potentially schedule official visits to Georgia and Duke. Georgia already has a running back committed and has others that it's targeting. And Georgia is one of the, the schools that has it. It's the easiest time adding really high profile running backs. But Tevin White is the number 165 overall recruit in the country and the number 13 running back. He's 6'1 and uh, 208 pounds or something like that. I think he told me he's a big kid. Uh, you know, he's athletic. He runs track. He's trying to get under 11 seconds in the 100 meters this year. So uh, there's a good chance that they get Tevin White committed if he likes his official visit, which is the second weekend in June. Um, you know, and, and that, that, that goes well. Um, uh, he's been, you know, talking to Sean Aguano, ASU's running backs coach, even talking to Herm Edwards. And uh, he said he's gotten to know Rashad White a little bit and uh, talked to, to Chip Tranum um, also. So uh, he's feeling really comfortable. Now, they have um, been going toe-to-toe -to -toe 
with Florida State for an offensive lineman from Miami, Dr. Richardson. He's supposed to be visiting ASU officially, and they have uh, a couple other you know, uh, uh, offensive prospects who are going to be on, on campus. Matt Fries is an offensive lineman from New Jersey who is um, ASU is doing well in that recruitment and probably among his top three or four. Um, we got um, uh, Arliss Boardingham, who's a, a tight end from California, who's going to be taking an official visit. He's ranked as an athlete on 24-7 because he can play offense or defense. Um, he's in the top 500 overall prospects and, um, Elijah Russell's a, a defensive end who's like six foot seven or maybe six foot eight from Florida who ASU is doing really well with. He's going to be king an official visit as well. Uh, there were some really high profile players that have been speculated as potential official visitors for ASU in June from Nebraska. And uh, uh, Caden Helms is a tight end. Devon Jackson uh, uh, is, is uh, a linebacker who, by the way, also has uh, like 10, 600 meter dash speed. Uh, he just won, he's from Omaha. He just won their uh, all city uh, 100 meter and 200 meter. So he's rare, rare speed. Uh, quite an impressive prospect. Those guys are both four stars and super well-regarded. And then they also have Deshaun Woods from Nebraska also who's an offensive lineman who's four stars. My understanding is all three of them are going to be now visiting ASU unofficially uh, in June, possibly in the second uh, half of June. So, uh, and then there's some other kids that I'm not going to say quite yet on the podcast, but if you want to get into the double sanctuary and find out more, I'm going to be doing a breakdown of their their offensive and defensive uh, visits and where they stand in a lot of these recruitments going into June. It's, I think it's going to be extremely informative on kind of w- overall picture about where this class is at right now. If that isn't a good enough tease to get you guys in the Devil's Sanctuary, I don't really know what is. All you got to know is June's going to be a big month in ASU recruiting, and Chris and our team is going to be all over it. And All by right, the way, and, and by the way, Mason, um, so right now ASU is ranked 34th nationally in the recruiting rankings in 2022 and fourth in the Pac-12. We just sort of like to kind of, you know, update that every once in a while. They have four uh, commits, uh, Larry Turner Gooden. They have, uh, he's a top 100 uh, athlete who's going to project to play safety at ASU from the LA area. They have two teammates from Hollandale High School in Florida we've talked about previously who are defensive backs, Alfonso Allen, who's a safety, and Jalen Marshall listed as a safety. He's going to play defensive back. Uh, And then they have a kicker, Carter Brown, from Texas. Now, uh, all three of those non-kickers, all uh, recruited by Chris Hawkins, who is the young, uh, burgeoning superstar recruiter at ASU. He's, He's ranked number one in uh, the recruiter rankings in the Pac-12, or at least he was the last time I checked, um, because he's responsible for all three of those guys. So that's sort of a sort of update on where, where that's at right now. I'll pose a quick question for you, Chris. If you were to handicap it right now, where do you think ASU's class ends up when all is said and done in 2022? Uh, I think they'll be a top 25 team. Um, it's kind of hard to project once you kind of get 
beyond that, they very rarely, they've never been uh, better than 15th uh, in recruiting, and that's very unlikely. So they'll probably fall somewhere. Like if, if things go perfectly for them, like really great for them, um, which, you know, they, they lost A.J. Duffy, the quarterback commit uh, to Florida State. Um, so, you know, that by itself might have some sort of a factor because also Dr. Richardson was, is, you know, been talking to A.J. Duffy. And so that, you know, he may, he's from Florida, he may end up at Florida State now. Um, you know, I, I think things will, they would have to do absolutely just knock it out of the park to, to be close right. to 15. Uh, but to be in the 20 to 25 range, I think that's quite achievable. Um, in the high teens, you know, that would be like probably a really great, uh, like, uh, you know, almost unprecedented, like probably only been there a couple of times type of an outcome. Right. And just FYI, Chris Hawkins is still the number one recruiter in the Pac-12 by 24-7 sports recruiter ranking. So I wanted to uh, confirm that as well. But as we transition from football to basketball, there's been just as much uh, turnover with ASU basketball, maybe more than anyone in the entire country. And we've spent uh, several of the last few podcasts kind of updating the roster and the changes. And we have kind of a recurring story on the site about, you know, updating the roster and getting into the analysis of each player. Chris, 10 new guys uh, coming into the roster. Some recent developments that I don't think we've touched on. Marcus Bagley entered the transfer portal, kind of keeping all of his options open. Uh, He's obviously inclined to stay in the NBA draft. He's trying to be a one and done, but also entering the portal in case he wants to come back to college, potentially may not come to ASU. And then Kamani Lawrence also announcing that he's returning to ASU. Uh, The Sun Devils announcing that uh, Lawrence is coming back. So that means Lawrence and Jalen Graham might be the only two players who played on last year's team who are going to be on the roster in this upcoming season. Yeah, that's... I'm pretty confident that's never happened before. I, you know, I, I, you know, I, I don't obviously don't know like to roster turnover situations from uh, earlier than like the nineties, you know, but I'm very confident that it, it's, it's just a newer phenomenon. All of these transfers and uh, teams have just never had so much uh, change with their personnel as they have now. So the, only having two players potentially return, as you said there in Graham and Lawrence is I'm sure that's never happened before. I'm 99.9% sure that's never happened before. And 10 new players, uh, it's never happened before either. Um, and four of those players are, as we've talked about, uh, guys who led their division one team in scoring last season. So that's, pretty rare three are guards uh the one forward aj brahma was 21 points and 10 rebounds at robert morris uh we've, i think we've talked a, a fair amount about the, the the breakdown of these players but they're all gonna play a lot right away uh i think Mar- marion jackson i think is probably the the guy who's gonna come in and make the biggest impact as a guard uh he was player of the year in the Mac last year, which is not a shabby conference whatsoever. Um, they're solidly in this, in the, the, the next tier after the top six conferences. Um, and, you know, very prolific 
Uh, I think he probably put up more three-pointers than anyone in the country over the last two seasons and scored a ton of points. And so uh, with Holland Woods leaving, I think he saw the writing on the wall and talked to Bobby Hurley and he's at Grand Canyon now. Uh, The guys that they lost on their roster, excluding, of course, Remy Martin and Alonzo Verge, Josh Christopher and Marcus Bagley. Um, which is a lot, but the, all these other guys who decided to transfer or leave the program, Jalen house and, you know, uh, 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 Cherry and Holland Woods, et cetera. Uh, ASU upgraded its roster with the transfers in versus transfers out. Um, still kind of TBD with Bagley, as you said there, I pretty, confident he's not going to be back at ASU but he hasn't ruled it out he's looking at all of his possibilities Josh Christopher definitely won't be back I'm confident he'll be uh staying in the NBA draft um so Bobby Hurley is you know not just with the 10 new players which includes Luther Muhammad who sat out last year while transferring um but he practiced with ASU um yeah they also have two new coaches uh, they got, we haven't talked about this on the free podcast, but they got uh, um, Joel Justice, who um, was at Kentucky, and he was involved in, with, you know, J- with John Calipari, recruiting a lot of really high-profile players and then developing them. So he's immediately able to come in and swim in the deep water, you know, of college basketball recruiting. And it's, you know, it's turbulent and rough seas, but he's not someone who's um, going to have to you know, like figure it out as he's, you know, trying to stay afloat there. Like he's, he's, he's going to be hitting it pretty hard. And there's some kids that he's recruited for the last couple years to Kentucky that he's now going to be recruiting to ASU. And so that's a, that was a pretty big uh, uh, coup for the Sun Devils and, and Hurley. And then Jermaine uh, Kimbrough is the other coach who came in. He's not coached, uh, at the high major level yet. So, but there's a lot of people who have spoken highly about him in terms of just his, his people skills and whatnot. In fact, Hillcrest Academy, uh, which is uh, their, their Hillcrest prep is their, you know, they're um, the, the really super prominent uh, local prep school in Phoenix that has become a, a major landing spot for uh, kids uh, top level recruits. Uh, they tweeted out saying that, you know, Kimbrough was a, you know, great, great addition for ASU. So, I, I, you know, that's sort of meaningful to me. Um, and we'll see kind of how that whole thing sort of shapes, um, you know, the coaching and the roster and, the, and, and the, the culture of the program around Hurley. I, I have said, uh, you know, on our member podcast, I think that, you know, some of this is, could be good for, for Hurley, um, you know, like having to do it without Rashawn Burno and getting a sort of a fresh, sort of fresh eyes and a fresh look at the team and the roster and everything. And he's been really adamant about saying he doesn't want to have, he never, he said he never wants to have another season like last season where ASU really underachieved and underwhelmed and, and dealt with some injuries and illness and some COVID type stuff. It was, you know, challenged in a lot of ways. And um, from a talent standpoint, at least they probably aren't going to be much worse than last year, especially when you have uh, Enoch Boache 
uh, also coming in, the five-star Canadian center. Uh, they're going to have a little more size and depth in the front court to go with some of the really experienced uh, Division One transfers. I uh, mentioned Jackson. You know, of course, um, you know, there's three others on top of that who all were pretty prolific guys. Uh, you know, uh, Heath at, at Boston College was, I think, the 12th leading scorer in the ACC last year. You know, that's another one. So, um, so I'm interested to see how they're able to kind of, you know, harmonize all of these players. It's a lot to kind of get all together. And, um, but I think they're going to be spending a lot of their summer really aggressively trying to do that. And we'll see if they can recapture some of the success that they had the, the prior three seasons. Right. And you mentioned some of the players leaving ASU via the transfer portal. One guy more recently is Caleb Christopher kind of opens up another spot. So without right. getting too far into the weeds, Chris, as this obviously is uh, your, our free version of the podcast, how much space does ASU have to work with in terms of potential new additions? Well, they have one spot for sure that, was the Caleb Christopher spot. I'm, I'm assuming he's not going to be back. Usually these, uh, you know, my understanding was that his AAU coach was already looking for possible who might be willing to take him before he entered the portal. So I don't, I think he probably won't be back. So that's one spot. And then uh, if, if back, doesn't return, that's another spot. I think given that he's in the portal, Bobby Hurley might just decide to fill that spot anyways. If, if he gets a player that he likes enough, we're kind of at the time of year now where it's not going to be a high school player. It's not going to be a, a junior college player. Uh, you know, at least very likely won't be w- one of them. It will either be another division one transfer or maybe a foreign player um, because some of those guys tend to come in kind of later in the process. Uh, I don't, I, I think it's unlikely that they would take another guard who's a D one transfer. certainly not one who's older um the 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 places on their team where they might be interested and from what i've gathered are at least sort of you know shaking out the bushes is uh on the wing i think that they could you know they they're interested in guys who are maybe in that six 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 seven six eight but can shoot the ball and defend and and play in the perimeter type of role um and, and then maybe you know possibly another sort of a younger developing big man that they could bring in and, you know, maybe more slowly kind of bring along. And that would be sort of the only things that I think they might add. And, and I think it's also quite possible that they might keep one of the, the scholarships open. Um, you know, very, it's not uncommon for, especially when there's been so many new players uh, in a year for teams to keep one or more of their scholarships uh, open. You don't need to have 13 guys on scholarship. Right. The, the bench, I mean, the deep bench and the rotations will be very interesting to see. I'm curious, you know, a big question mark this season was getting guys to mesh. So I'm curious, Chris, how Bobby Hilly is going to get yeah. a completely new team uh, to mesh just as well. Yeah, that's, and that's the, 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 the challenge and that that's how he's going to be um, evaluated. Like there, there, there's legitimate questions about, you know, whether or not he's been able to maximize the talent that he's had. Um, Even when they were winning the 20, you know, 20 win seasons 
three in a row that um, hadn't been done in decades at ASU. It that to, in my eyes that that occurred during a down period in the Pac-12 where we saw like uh, you know UCLA was historically uh, bad prior to Cronin's arrival. Um, the Alford you know thing didn't did just never really worked. You had uh, Stanford and Cal were below their their normal. Um, Washington, um, you know, we saw Hopkins do well when he first came into the Pac-12, but more recently he hasn't. And then Arizona uh, clearly hit a b- bad patch with um, a lot of the headwinds that Sean Miller faced before his dismissal. So um, you kind of put all that together and the the situation was sort of ripe for ASU and Hurley and they had good players and situations. So what they did with the talent that they had was not all that surprising. I, I think it's unquestionable that Hurley has done a better job on the talent acquisition side than any other recent coaches going back to at least Bill Frieder in the nineties um, and possibly even going back to Ned Wolk. Um, who, uh, you know, ASU's last maybe like truly great basketball team was 81. Um, so uh, you have to give Hurley a lot of props for how he's been able to continuously add talent you know, creatively, um, whether that's been the Adidas affiliated kids, like um, a bunch of, a bunch of like Blue Dort and, Romello Wyatt and Tayshawn Cherry and Kamani Lawrence, or whether he's hit the Nike EYBL circuit for Josh Christopher and Marcus Bagley, or whether it's been now, you know, uh, continuing via the, the transfer market where he got Rob Edwards and Zylan Cheatham, and now he's got, you know, four leading D1 scorers to transfer. Um, he's done a really great job with making sure that his teams have always had pretty good talent outside of like the first year that you know, he arrived. And, um, you know, now the test is, can you elevate that talent and get them to play really well together to squeeze the most out of them as a group, you know, to make the sum equal of the parts. And um, this is another huge test. And I, I, there's a lot of, I think, fans who have grown a little bit frustrated by, um, you know, last year they were expected to be a top 25 team and it was a real bust. And, um, you know, of course they were hurt by the previous year, um, not the, the cancellation of the, the Pac-12 tournament and the NCAA tournament. They would have made the tournament. They had won like eight out of 10 Pac-12 games in, a, in a, uh, the second half of their conference schedule, like in February mostly. Um, so they were, you know, so that, that was unfortunate. And you, you I, I it, like, uh, it, it's Bobby Hurley was, it's, you know, life's not fair. I mean, that, that happens. Then you get the pandemic that prevents fans from attending when you have Bagley and Christopher and Remy Martin and others guys coming back. And so they didn't get the normal type of year that they would have had. And it was harder to get everybody sort of gelling with the roster, um, last year and they had major problems, you know, or potential problems with that anyways, with how ball dominant that Christopher 
and uh, Verge and, and Martin were, and I don't think that it ever really sort of worked, And but they also weren't able to practice normally. Um, and then this year, you're now, as you said there, trying to get all these guys on the same page. So, um, you know, the patience is not the same and for a lot of fans, and I think people are going to expect ASU to, um, you know, go back get back to winning 20 games and get back to being in uh, the running for an NCAA tournament berth again this year. Um, so we'll see. Lofty expectations to be sure. A lot of info dropped in this free version of our Sun Devil Swords Report podcast. Chris, before we wrap it up, any final thoughts? No, I just um, like, this is a great time to subscribe. If, if, if you haven't been on the site, like I am very confident the rest of the year is going to have um, all a whole bunch of interesting subplots and scenarios. And the devil sanctuary um, is we have as many members as we've ever had and the very active message board community that, you know, people really love. And I think if you're listening to our podcast, you are very much in our target audience of somebody who would probably really enjoy that if you aren't subscribed. So definitely go to Sun Devil Source and check it out. You might think you're in the know right now, but subscribe and you'll be more in the know than you could ever possibly imagine. But for now, that's going to wrap up this edition of the Sun Devil Source Report podcast. For publisher Chris Cartman, I'm your host, Mason Kern, saying so long. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next time.